Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. Dan Hasler here with you from Cut Through Coaching. And in today's episode, I'm really pleased to say I'm welcoming Michael Bungay-Stanya back to the show. Michael's at the forefront of making coaching an everyday leadership behavior. He's the author of one of my favorite books called The Coaching Habit, which is also one of the best-selling coaching books of all time, with over 700,000 copies sold and over a 1,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. He's got a new book out called The Advice Trap, which focuses on what it takes to stay curious just a little bit longer and tame what he calls your advice monster. In 2019, he was named the number one thought leader in coaching and was shortlisted for the coaching prize by Thinkers50. Michael, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. So obviously in the intro there, you heard me rattle off all your accolades, so, awards, so many accolades, status, so many awards, so many but let me tell you, there's one that you're not aware you have, and that is our our, po- our podcast is a somewhat young podcast in the in the podcast world. We've only been around just over a year, and mm-hmm. you have the distinction of being our very first repeat guest. Woohoo! How about that? <laughs> now, obviously, I didn't want to tell you that beforehand because I didn't want you to lose sleep. You know, <laughs> leading into this, I didn't want you all oh keyed God. up. So. You have no idea how nervous I now am. I'm like, I can't, don't blow it. This, I, could, I could throw it all, all the hard work of years away by making a mistake here. What if you don't get invited back again? Oh, my word. So, um, yeah, so thank you so much, as I said. Um, anyone who's listened to our podcast more than once or twice would have heard your name because we cite your book, The Coaching Habit, repeatedly. Oh, and thank we've, you. We've already, been to- we've already been talking about the advice trap. Uh, everyone on our team here has read it and devoured it and done the online stuff. Um, so in a nutshell, the advice trap essentially cautions us um, against giving advice. Why? Yeah, you know, it, it. there's actually nothing wrong with advice. And that's worth really saying and saying it loud and up front, which is it's not a guy never give advice because honestly that's, you know, we're, we're currently doing a podcast that's full of advice. So it would be a little hypocritical for me to go, you should never give advice. What yeah. we're trying to deal with is that default response so many of us have, which is to leap in and jump in and start offering up ideas and opinions. It's... It's the knee-jerk response that's the thing that kills you, not advice itself. So the proclamation that I want for people, the kind of the behavior that I would love to see flourish, is for everybody to stay curious a little bit longer and rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly. So that's not never give advice. It's like, can you just hold off on your so-called brilliant idea? Not for an hour, not for not for a day, not for a week. I'm, I'm talking... 90 seconds if you could just hold the space for curiosity for 90 seconds maybe two minutes if you want to go crazy i really think it's going to make a difference in terms of the types of conversations you have but aren't we just wasting time because if i know the answer shouldn't i just tell people well there are three reasons why you might choose not to to give the answer and let me run through them the first two are kind of related the first is this you don't really know what the problem is. I mean, I know you think you do because you're a genius, but actually it's really rare that the first problem that shows up is the real challenge. It's often somebody else's stab in the dark or their early hypothesis or some initial ideas 
But really, it's quite rare that the first challenge that's put on the table is the real challenge. But even, even if miraculously they have somehow articulated the perfect encapsulation of what the real challenge is, here's the second reason why you might want to slow down the rush to advice giving, and it is that your advice actually isn't nearly as good as you think it is. And if you, Dan, and anybody listening in is going, Michael, you've clearly not met me. I am. My, my advice really is quite, you know, quite exceptional. You know, there's, there are so many cognitive biases that just suggest that the more confident you are about your advice, the, least co- the less confident you should be about your advice. There's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which effectively says, People who have not very good ability don't have the ability to recognize that they don't have much ability. So you're kind of in a paradox there. So if you're like, no, no, I'm really good. Yeah, there's, there's science that says that may mean that you're not as good as you think you are. But okay, let's say for the sake of argument that somehow you've got, you've got, a, you've got the real challenge and it's really clearly defined and you've got a brilliant idea, you know, gangbusters idea. It's, it's genius. Here's the third reason you may not want to give advice, and it's a crossroads, and it's a choice. You could give the advice, which means that you would quickly deal with the problem, they'd get out of your office, and you have trained somebody to come back to you next time to ask for the advice, because they've trained you, you've trained them to say, I'm the person who solves things around here. Or you could say, you know what, if I spend a couple of minutes and maybe help them have their idea, their idea may not be as good as my idea, but it probably will be good enough to solve the problem. And in doing that, I'm encouraging them, I'm empowering them, I'm increasing their sense of autonomy and confidence and competence and self-sufficiency. I'm training them not to come to me for advice, but to say, your job is to figure some of the stuff out yourself. And this third piece is this choice of a, how you show up as a leader. Are you just trying to be the person who's known for solving the problems? Or are you being known as the person who helps people figure out what the real challenge is, helps grow your people so that you've actually got a team that's more focused on the stuff that matters, is more autonomous, is more competent and more confident. And if you're interested in that second option, then staying curious a little bit longer is the way to go. So in in your book, you um, give these or the advice giving habit three three different personas yeah and you call them the monsters yeah, so right. it's quite it's quite deliberate language i'm sure you know the monsters um can you tell us just a little bit about these personas um and sure. how they play out yeah so in the first book the coaching habit which came out uh, you know four years ago i mentioned you know your advice monster as a throwaway line and honestly people have loved that i hear about it all the time you know it's like oh i'm a, i'm michael and i'm an advice monster and i'm like okay there's a yeah. There's something in that metaphor that really strikes a chord. And, you know, in trying to decide whether to, to, to write this new book, and it's always a decision because writing a book is just this miserable experience for the most part. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's, it's never as good in your, on the paper as you think it's going to be in your head. Uh, honestly, most, most books don't sell very many copies, so you can spend, mm-hmm. you know, ho- hundreds of hours creating something that nobody sees. So, like, do I, do I even want to do this? But I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to do it. Let's bring these advice monsters to life. So really, the call to tame your advice monster is at the heart of this new book, The Advice Trap. 
And just as you said, there are three different personas. There is tell it, there is save it, and there is control it. And these get to the deeper reasons why you might like to give advice. Because there's a superficial reason, which is, honestly, you've spent your life giving advice and being rewarded for having the answer, you know, at school, at high school, at university, at your early years in your career, you've just had been rewarded for being the person with the answer. It doesn't work as you get more experienced and more senior in your leadership. It just doesn't work and it doesn't scale to try and be the person with the right answer. So we've got these three advice monsters, tell it, save it, and control it. And I will say this. Oh, no, let me let me explain them first. So tell it. Tell it has convinced you that the way you add value is to have the answers. You need to have all the answers. I mean, you need to have all the answers to all the things. And if you don't have all the answers, then you're going to fail. Now, what you what tell it gives you is that sense of importance and that sense of status of being the smart person, the right person, the I've still got value left to add person, the look at my years of experience and how they're paying off now person. But the disadvantage of tell it is that you're saying to people, look, I don't think you can have the idea. I don't think you're good enough to have ideas. I think that's my job. I'm actually going to just tell you what you should be doing rather than allowing you to figure some stuff out yourself. So let's tell it. Then there's save it. Save it has convinced you that your job is to ensure that nobody ever struggles or sweats or strains or stumbles or finds it hard. You've got to be the savior of everybody. You've got to rescue everybody. Yeah, that gives you some short-term gains and pleasure. I mean, you look at you. You you care for everybody. You keep everybody safe. You're the mother hen or the father hen, if that's a thing. I don't know. You, you, but you're that you're that kind of caring person. But there's a price to that. A price you pay. A price that others pay. Which is people people don't learn. People don't grow. People don't expand. People don't step into their full potential. And of course, it's it's as overwhelming for you, just as it's impossible and overwhelming to have all the answers, it's impossible and overwhelming to save all the people. Then there's a third of the advice monsters, and that's control it. So probably the sneakiest of the three. And control it has convinced you that the way you win is to never give up control, maintain control at all costs, hold on to the wheel. Don't give it up. Don't give it away. Don't allow anything in. Just keep it locked down. And of course, there's short-term wins for that, which is, hey, you're in control, you have the steering wheel, you're, you're setting the direction, you're making sure nothing weird or dangerous or interesting shows up, but you're in control. But of course, the price you and others pay is that, first of all, it's an impossible, exhausting thing to be in control of everything all the time. I mean, you, there's so little that you can actually control. And of course, you never invite anybody else to step in and step up and be empowered and take the lead. So it is a overwhelming and exhausting place to be. So those are the three advice monsters. And I was just going to say, if people are like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, I've got, a t- I've got a resource for you right away. If you go to theadvicetrap.com, so theadvicetrap.com, there's actually a little questionnaire. Take about four minutes to complete, and it'll actually tell you which of those three advice monsters is kind of most strong, most kind of powerful within you. We're going to put a link in the show notes to to all all the resources on there. Oh, awesome! But can I, Thank I, you. So when I when I did that, no worries. When I did that, um, I was surprised. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> so I I read your book going, yep, that's me. That's me. <laughs> definitely me. That's definitely me. And then I did the survey and it popped up as going, hang on, that's not me. Um, but what I realized on reflection was I'd read your book with one hat on, yes. so to speak. And I did the survey with a very different hat oh, on. Interesting. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, so I think about, um, I, I think about three three or four hats that I, I mean, I wear a lot of hats, but three or four of them are, um, obviously I've got my own company, so I'm a leader of such. I'm also yes. a coach, so I work mm -hmm. with people, but I'm also a father, yes. I'm also a husband, yeah. I'm also a son, a brother. That's right. And I wonder, I don't know, I, but I wonder if your advice monster shows up with different, under different hats. Does that make sense? Can, yeah, can, totally. Have you noticed that they play out in different ways? Well, I'd say a few things about it. The first is, I think we probably have elements of all three of those advice monsters as part of our makeup all the time. So it's not like you are one and you're not the other. The second is, as with absolutely every single survey, it's like it's it's feedback. So take what's useful and ignore what's not. <laughs> so yeah, if yeah. you go, wow, that's me, I really see it, then fantastic. And if you go, huh, that's ridiculous, that's not me at all, then fantastic. That tells you something as well. Um, you know, look at the survey results as a, a, a provocation rather than, you know, the answer, <laughs> capital T, capital yeah, yeah. A. And, and, yeah, and I think that is how I use that because I say on reflection. Yeah. So my immediate reaction was... Pfft. Yeah, <laughs> but then, but then on reflection, I was like, "Yeah, hang on, thinking about it, thinking <laughs> right, about right. thinking about who I was when I was reading that." But literally, like you know, twenty four hours before doing the survey, I was very much in a different space. I'd been hanging out with clients. I'd mm -hmm. been hanging out with you know my team, and then when I'd done the survey, I'd been at home yeah. dealing with you know, and, and dealing sounds very <laughs> well. There you go. I've been dealing with it, um, but you know, like um, you know, all the stuff that's going on at the moment, like kids, yeah, you know, exactly. in doing you know, learning remotely, uh, my wife juggling, you know, she juggles a lot of stuff normally, but now it's like, you know, superwoman right. status. And um, yeah, so I really found it interesting that the way I was thinking about the way I try to help, try to offer value is, is very context specific. And I'm wondering if current conditions are also, yeah. you know, exaggerating some of it maybe. Yeah, I think I, I'm so first, I mean, I think your first two things, I think you're right that you probably you show up differently with different people. And for me, the question is always, so what are your patterns? You know, what, what's, what seems to be true always, what seems to be situationally specific and how's that useful for you? But then to the bigger question, I think you're putting down, which is like, so we're in the middle of a global pandemic and you and I are recording this and you know, there, you know, because as you said, your wife is moving into superwoman mode because we're all going, what the hell is happening right now? And we're in this cycle of uncertainty and, and destabilization. I mean, we, we don't really know what's happening with our economy. We really don't know what's happening with the nation's health, whatever nation you're in. We don't really know what's happening at a kind of global response. We don't really know how long this is going to go on for. There's all sorts of hypotheses floating about. And on the one hand, you're like, do I need to stockpile food for nine months? And then on the other hand, you're like, do I need to master Zoom in the next 90 minutes? <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's it's, it's all sorts of stuff that's flaring around. And one of the things that the science will tell you is that our brains love certainty. We love to know because we feel anxious when we don't. It's a very much an evolutionary survival piece. You know, our 
the ancestors who played it safe by sticking to the stuff that they knew were more likely to survive than the ancestors who were a little more risky and who who went into the dark cave because who knows what interesting things will be there. And they're like, okay, they never made it out of the dark cave. We don't have their DNA as part of our, our makeup. So our brain, our little amygdala and the limbic uh, brain as well, the unconscious parts of our brain, they're kind of freaking out right now and they're hungry for answers. And that has implications for how you show up on on at least two levels the first is you will notice that you are looking for certainty so when our for instance our politicians go let me be absolutely clear <laughs> part of our brain goes oh that's awesome <laughs> okay yeah. it doesn't even it doesn't matter what doesn't comes matter next what, exactly at least we're clear exactly. <laughs> let me be absolutely clear i am a martian yeah. everyone like oh that's good that's, I'm, I'm relieved about that because at least he's, we're clear on that now. So the first is to notice your hunger and your chasing for certainty and just to go, you know what, you're, you're not going to get certainty right now. Nobody knows. Just nobody knows. So how do you manage the stuff that, the situations that trigger uncertainty so that your brain is not then triggered into the anxious chasing of certainty? Then the, the next implication is not how do you receive, but how do you give? And the temptation is to create certainty as a leader. And what I would encourage you to do is find that right balance between certainty and confidence and also curiosity. You know, if you, if you tap into some of the classics like Man's Search for Meaning, um, and also I think, uh, the Stockdale paradox, you know, the survival of Stockdale and the Vietnamese, uh, prisoner of war camps is like, you know what? The optimists died early. They died first because they were like, oh no, no, we'll be out by Christmas. Oh, we'll be out by Easter. Oh, we'll be out by July. Oh, we'll be, okay. We're never going to get out. And they kind of give up. Whereas the people who survived were the realistic optimists, realistic about where they were optimistic about the future and the realism about where they were is around that i think about certainty about being clear about what what's true here right now but the optimism about the future is around a place where curiosity can play a place which is around you know what are possible what is what are options what 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 are we trying to do here and i think as a leader there's a way for you to be asking yourself, how do I be mindful about the right mix of certainty and curiosity that I'm trying to bring to my team and my organization right now? One of the things that came out for me for reading the book is that so much of this advice giving, I felt, and I'm, you know, it comes from a place of fear, yeah. comes from a place of what if I don't give this advice? You know, what does that mean for... And I wonder if it, what does it mean for the, the person who doesn't get my advice? But more importantly, what does it mean for me yeah. um, if I don't give my advice? What's the, uh, you know, yes, Michael, I've read your book. I know there's a real benefit for not giving the advice. I get that. Yeah. Uh, you know, but what's, the, mate, there's a big cost here. And I'm wondering what people might be scared of. Yeah. Um, because we talk about monsters, you know, inherently scary. What are we, what are we scared of? Well, I think the, the clue is in the, the monster names. One is, you know, if you tell it, save it, control it, we're, we're fearful about not knowing what the answer is. 
and we're fearful about not being able to save the people around us and we're fearful about losing control. And all of that is we are fearful about losing the identity that we currently hold. Because where you stand at the moment, you're doing an okay job at being the person with answers, being in control of what you need to be in control of, saving your people. And that's important. And you're not abandoning all of that. But you're at a crossroads where you go, what do I need to say no to so I can say yes to the next level of leadership? And by leadership, I'm not just saying you're being promoted from X to Y. I'm saying, how do you choose to show up in this world and influence people and guide people and be that better version of yourself? And these are strong words. I, I realize that, you know, it's like me going, be a better version of yourself. But I do think that if you move to a leadership style that has more curiosity in it, it opens up three what, what have been called virtues that allow you to be a better person, but also a more effective person. And those three virtues are empathy and mindfulness and humility. So to give you my, I mean, those are, those are all three words people know, and they, they'll have their own definitions for them. I'll give you my definitions, which will be similar, but slight, maybe slightly different from what other people uh, use. When I say empathy, I mean being more other aware more other aware, more aware of just who that other person is and what are they really like and what's really going on for them. Being more mindful means, I think, being more situationally aware or more reality aware. Just a better guidance around what's actually true right now um, as opposed to what stories am I telling about what's true right now. And then humility is actually being more self-aware. So humility is not for me some sort of false modesty or pretend, oh, I'm not good enough. It is more of a, this is who I am at my best. This is what I'm like in my full glorious messiness. How do I show up and be the best version of myself? And I think part of what curiosity gives us is access to empathy and mindfulness and humility so that we better understand the other person, we better understand the situation, we better understand ourselves. And when you do that, you're better, you're more likely to be able to act in a way that's, that serves the situation. Hearing you speak about those three things, and I'm thinking of the hats I wear and the hats that many people listening would wear, this is not just for leadership per se. This is not just for the boardroom, right? This could be around the dining room table. This is like if you interact with other human beings. <laughs> Some of my favorite emails I get from people are like, you know what, I had a great conversation with my teenage daughter the other day and we haven't had a conversation mm. like that for a long time. And look, I'm not even a parent, so what do I know? Mm. But um, but it, it does seem to be that this isn't about a hierarchy. It's about you know, your spouse and your kids and your boss and your peers and your team and your customers and your clients and your vendors, you know, a attitude of showing up with a little more curiosity actually just creates better relationships and better conversations, not just because you feel better about it, but because you actually end up talking about the stuff that matters. What I really love about this book in particular is that it's, it starts out the whole bit saying, you know, you want to, if you want to help coach other people, then do this, do this, do this. And then at the end, it hits you square in the eyes and says, oh, by the way, 
you need to do this yourself. You're right. You know, you really need to get coached. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be curious about yourself, you know, not just other people. And um, some of those, um, you know, we're really leading. In fact, one of your chapters is move away from old fears. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, talking about, okay, so you've got to this point, um, you know, doing these things because of, and as we've alluded to, perhaps a fear. A fear's driven you that, you know, what if I don't know the answer? Yeah. What if people don't respect me? How does this play into my identity? What questions do you have that you could give people to say, okay, so you, you've, you've, you've thought about this, you've heard this, you want to be a better version, you know, yeah. you know, deliberately provocative language, you want to be a better version of yourself. Yep. How are we gonna how are we gonna help people or how do you help people more more pointedly? How do you help people um really prod prod the monsters to see, you know, if, if we can get it back in its cave? Yeah. It's a big question, Dan, because this is not a you know, snap the fingers and you're miraculously transformed. I mean, if I could figure that out, the world would be a better place, perhaps. Um yeah. You know, the question that I think is worth weighing up is what are the prizes and the punishments? You know, that's language I use in the book. But what are the prizes and punishments for how you are acting now? Because the truth is it is hard to say no to present benefits and trade them off for future benefits. It's just it's just something that human beings struggle with. You know, we've all heard of the marshmallow test. And even though there's all sorts of interesting research that shows that the original marshmallow test probably wasn't that great in terms of actual findings, in terms of it's about self-control or not, it seems to be much more about context and situational awareness and upbringing and all sorts of bits and pieces. But nonetheless, as a broad metaphor, it's pretty helpful, which is to say, you know, often we're always going to eat the marshmallow that's in front of us rather than wait five minutes and get the second marshmallow as a bonus. It's why, you know, it's why global warming. <laughs> because we're like, yeah, yep. no, we should yep. do something about that. No, it's re really, I mean, another degree and our next generation is just, they're screwed. So I would say, first of all, you know, it, it starts with you being aware of going, what are the prizes and punishments of how you're acting at the moment? Um, I'm reading a book at the moment called The Optimist's Telescope. Um, and it's talking a, a fair bit about this challenge around long-term change at a societal level, but it also taps into kind of individual uh, awareness as well. And until you really get to see the benefit of future you, it's it's trickier to trade off the, the, the process of against future, uh, present you, I should say. Mm. So yeah. prizes and punishments. And then the other thing I would ask ask you is to say, who's in your corner <laughs> with you on this? You know, I know that most of the the hard change that I've done in terms of trying to evolve and become a better version of myself, I've typically had somebody <laughs> by my side go kind of pushing me forward, whether that's my wife or whether it's my coach or whether it's my mastermind group or whether it's my friend or whoever it is, somebody going, right, this is hard to do by yourself. Let me help. And yep. um, part of what I think is worth putting on the table is to go, so 
who who's got your back on this and maybe how can you do this together we're talking about it being a team sport because I, I can imagine that requires some vulnerability to, again, you know, a lot of the people who we're working with might be quite, I don't know, seemingly outwardly successful, yep. proud people. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you help, how you help people um, become more, if that's the right word, become more vulnerable or to open up a little bit to that idea. Yeah, it's, it's um, how do I do it? Well, there's definitely one part of it is to come back to this, so how's this working for you? Which is the classic prizes and punishments thing, which is like, okay, so let me let me talk to you about the feedback we've heard about you. People hate you. <laughs> so, I mean, or you're exhausted, or, um, or, or you know, you're failing, you know, or you haven't seen your sons. It's like, how's that working for you? And um, that kind of provocation is helpful. Um there is something just powerful about what coaching can bring, just creating that space where you're like, you know what, here is a private little space. Let's not call it coaching. Let's just call it support of some sort where you're like, here's a private space where you, the confident, confident, competent achiever can just admit to some messiness (laughs) and just kind of fall apart a little bit. You know, this whole coronavirus thing is really interesting because there's a whole lot of people going, I'm finding it really hard. And I keep going, but it's a global pandemic. <laughs> is, is that why? I think it's because it's a global pandemic. You're allowed, to, you're allowed to be messier and incompetent. I mean, everybody is. Anybody who's not feeling a little uncertain just hasn't understood what's going on right now. So I think there's creating a space for that. There's also something about people respond to the strongest signal in the room. That's kind of one of my facilitation models. My friend Mark Bowden taught me that. And um, what that means is people will be as vulnerable as you're willing to be. So when I am teaching in one form or another, I go, how, how, how much can I show and how much can I reveal and how vulnerable can I be? Because I know that if I do it, it will enable others to step into a spot that they might not otherwise have done. So I do think that part of if if you want somebody else to be vulnerable, you you need to, you know, to to paraphrase Gandhi, you need to be the change you want to see in the world. That's a fantastic way to round out our, our chat here. I th- just or, or actually, this is a better way. Um, what I'd like to ask you just to wrap up is, um, obviously, you've immersed yourself in this work for years now. It's, you know, your life's work. As a result of reading, uh, sorry, writing your book, what was something that um, cropped up? It surprised you. You thought, wow, really? You know, I, I didn't know that before I wrote this book. Well, the, 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 there are two, two learning edges for me in this book. One was this trying to dive into this difference between hard change and easy change and to try and find a way of translating that in a way that made it more accessible for people. The second thing that um, it took me down a path of learning about was a little deeper dive into these connections between empathy and humility and mindfulness. Because, um, you know, I'd known about all three of those but I hadn't ever really connected the three of them before or seen the way how they become a virtuous circle and how they are and how curiosity can be 
an underpinning to all three of those attributes. So that's, that's, that's what I learned. And then in terms of what I learned just about myself, it's just it was a, a reminder yet again of how hard it is to write a book. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. Well, I hope, I hope you can sit back and actually feel proud of, and, and it was all worthwhile because as I, I mean, you know, as I said right at the start, we, we cite your work ad nauseum um, with the clients we work with and on, and on this Thank show. You. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great read. So if anyone um, is equally as interested in your work as I am, what's the best way that they can uh, find you? Because I know you do have a new website. I do, example. yeah. So um, uh, mbs.works is the uh, is the personal website. Box of Crayons is the corporate organization I, I founded, and they do corporate training. But if you're individual and you're like, I'd like to learn more about what Michael's teaching and how he's showing up, mbs.works. And then if you go to the advicetrap.com, which you can access through mbs.works, but you know, a separate URL if you want it, that's where you'll find the questionnaire and some other resources that you can get from the book. And on Twitter, you've got a new handle as yeah. well. You're everywhere. I'm everywhere. It's, what is it? It's like at MBS underscore works, I think, on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. I'll, again, I'll whack all that in the in the show notes so people can Thanks, stalk Dad. you no matter what their favorite stalking <laughs> medium is. Exactly. I like a good stalker. <laughs> yeah, emphasis on the good yeah, stalker. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, obviously... Um, Thank you so much. You're always really generous with your time. I really appreciate that. Um, but also um, take care of yourself and, and your Thank family you. in and these uh, ridiculously challenging times. Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, hopefully you can be our first ever third, <laughs> <laughs> third repeat guest when you write your next book. Sounds like a plan, Dan. Thanks for having me. If you found that conversation worthwhile, then make sure you check out the show notes because there's links there to Michael's books and his online resources. If you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoy this podcast, then there's a fair chance that people you know will. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can. Take a moment to rate the podcast, comment on the podcast, and subscribe to the podcast anywhere where you get your podcast because that makes it easier for other people to find us. If you have a question that you'd like us to consider for an upcoming Q&A uh, episode or if you have a, a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear on the show or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show then head over to habitsofleadership.com and let us know on the podcast page you can also find out a little bit about the work that we do there and keep in touch with us but until our next episode thank you very much for listening take care take it easy